You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Good morning, everyone. I'm going to be reading Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Thank you, Tiffany. Um, Man, that's good. We just sit and simmer in there for a while. Um, I want to do a, a special thing before we jump into the sermon in a moment. I'm going to ask Pastor B and Nikki, where, where are you all at? Can you stand up for a sec? Uh, for those of you unaware, um, these two just got married. What's it been, two weeks now? <laughs> um, and just a, a, a joyous occasion, obviously, as one of our pastoral staff members, but uh, we get to, we didn't get to do this in the morning, but just we are overjoyed. And this is our first Sunday back after, uh, after the marriage and then honeymoon, <laughs> all, that, all that good stuff. Uh, so make sure after worship you give some personal greetings and, and just, we're, we're just very excited for you guys as we walk together. So thank you. Also, uh, one um, quick announcement. We announced this last week, and we talked about um, who we are as the church and the mission that God has given us, why we exist. And as part of that, we announced a special opportunity we have. Uh, we're praying about right now what it would look like for us to send a new group of people out from the village to start another church in Baltimore. Um, and we, we've been praying about that for a while. And some of you have been here. We, you know, we've been talking about that. Um, we are going to have an interest meeting on Sunday, April 3rd, 30th after worship. Uh, you'll hear more about it. But even if you, this is not a commitment. Don't worry. We're not going to come ask for your social numbers and, you know, get where well, this is just to find out what this might be looking like. Um, we believe that the most effective way we are able to love and reach others in our city, particularly those who don't know Jesus, is through new churches. That's been our, uh, um, story here at the village. So we want to be faithful to that. If you didn't listen to the message from last Sunday, I would highly encourage you to do that and hear a little bit more why we talk about these things. You can find that online at our website or uh, iTunes, I think as well. But listen to that and ask God, say, hey, is this something I should be looking into uh, to be part of this new work in our city? So please keep that in mind here. Um, as I get ready to share a little bit this morning, uh, Easter sermons are always uh, I, I don't know about y'all. I don't know if you've been in church before, but some of you, like the mentality when you come Easter is like, I've done like 30 of these, 40, 50, 60. Yo, what, what else is there to say? So Easter Sunday is always fun, but I'm, I'm really excited because we are uh, finishing up a series that we started six weeks ago called The Story. 
Um, we've been looking at the Bible from beginning to end and through six sermons, and we could probably have done like 200 sermons, but through six sermons, helping to see the picture of the Bible is not just a, a book where you can pick out like little lessons for life. It's there, but rather there's this cohesive narrative. Like from the beginning, when we talked about how God created everything, and then things went bad, and we call that sin. Sin entered the world in rebellion and, and just destroyed what was good. But then we were reminded of the joy of this promise that God saw what was going on, and he offered a solution. And then we saw that the solution came through a hero, and his name was Jesus. And we looked at what this good news, the gospel is of who Jesus is and all the implications. And then last week, we saw, in light of that, then what is our response as people who say that we follow God, as this people call the church on mission? So we've been seeing that this is one cohesive story that God is in control. He's the author. He knows what's happening. And today, we get to wrap it up. And, and it ties in really well with this idea of Easter. But we're looking at new creation. We're looking at new creation. We're looking at this idea of what things were meant to be. Uh, maybe, a, maybe a way that you can understand this is, what do we have to look forward to? What do we have to look forward to? And, and that's a lot of Easter. You know, when you talk about the resurrection, it's, it's something we've been given so that we can continue to look forward. So what we're looking at today hasn't happened yet. This is like sneak preview. This, this hasn't happened yet. Um, the first four, that has happened, right? Creation, sin, um, promise, and mission, uh, promise and, and the gospel, that has happened. That's in the past. Um, last week, when we talked about mission, we're in the middle of that right now. We're living that out here together. Um, today's idea of new creation, this has not happened yet. We're talking about how all things will end. Um, and what I mean by all this I'm talking about the results of the fall. I'm talking about things like sin and death and brokenness and rebellion. We're talking about how God has a plan that he's going to bring all that to an end. And it's the power, really, of what we're talking about today with resurrection. That, that when Jesus died, that should have been it. I mean, it should have been like how we remember people like uh, Mahatma Gandhi or Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, men who lived, and, and you know, a lot of men and women throughout history who lived these lives um, driven by what they believed in, that they had a cause that they thought was so important. They were going to devote everything they had to making that happen, and they believed in it so much that they were even killed for their beliefs. And then now we look back and we remember and we honor, and we have holidays, or we have uh, memorial services where we're able to remember, yeah, you know what? They died, but look at how their legacy has continued to move forward. Wow, we are right in the middle of their dream continuing to go forth. Even though they died, look at what came as a result. Um, We want to be really clear today as we remember the resurrection. That's not what we're talking about with Jesus. We're not just talking in memoriam of someone who lived a great life and he died a sacrificial death and, oh, let's find some great examples of how he did that. We should sacrifice like Jesus too. That's not the point of all this. Um, I mean, we remember his death. We remember the significance of that, like we talked about on Friday. Um, his death, Jesus' death on this thing called a cross, that is, that is the means by which we are forgiven of our sins. We're cleansed. Um, Like we talked about Friday, we're made whole. We're healed because he was bruised and broken. But guys, it doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there for Jesus. Because what we remember with the resurrection is that death 
after this thing called the fall entered our universe, our, our existence, this thing called death should have been the end just as it has been for every other person, almost every other person except for a few notable exceptions. But that's not how things ended for Jesus. He reversed the curse of death. Once he was in the grave, the marvel of the resurrection is that wasn't the end of the story. A few days later, the tomb was empty. That's what we celebrate here. It was an emphatic statement that now everything has changed. The normal course of the way we view of life, that's not the way it is anymore. Things are radically different because of what Jesus accomplished through this tremendous power of God. And the completion of that, that's all we're talking about when we say new creation. Like the fruition of that. I mean, in that sense, I guess it's actually more accurate to say this is not really the end of things, but it's more a beginning. This is a new beginning. It's, it's a new creation. It's a new life for God's people where things are the way they were intended to be as God originally created. When God made this beautiful garden and he put this little man and this little woman in there and they didn't have any clothes and it was all good, right? He did that and he said, eat whatever you see, enjoy it all, dwell with me, walk with me. You're just gonna enjoy me. This is gonna be the epitome of life. There's gonna be nothing else you're gonna desire except for me. God is gonna recreate that in the new creation. All we're gonna desire is him. All we're gonna do is worship him. It's gonna be the perfect existence that was meant for the garden and it will be fulfilled. But guys, you you need to catch this. The incredible thing is, as we read from Revelation here, it's not a new garden, but it's a city. And some of y'all don't like the city very much. I I feel bad for you because that's what eternity promised to us. It's gonna be a city. Um, the, The picture of what we read here, heaven is a city. It's a glorious, shining, beautiful city the way it's meant to be. It's a marvelous image of all that God created so impeccably being the way it was. And that's hard for some of us to imagine. Some of you got real strong imagination, but even you can't imagine it because we're birthed in this thing called sin that's tainted everything. That's all we know. Uh, And and I think when we think about this idea of new creation of heaven, Hollywood's kind of ruined it for us. I'm not anti-Hollywood. I, I like my movies. But Hollywood's kind of ruined the idea of heaven. Because when we think about heaven, we think about like these wings like sprouting on your back and like floating upwards. It's always floating upwards and going through the clouds and then entering these gates. And then you got these fat little angel babies with wings like flapping and they got the harps playing. And, and you know, that's heaven. Um, I, I, but the thing is, that's not biblical. That's not the biblical idea of heaven. Heaven is not really something that we float away to go meet God. Rather, the picture that we see of heaven is God coming to meet us. God brings a new city and, and replaces this city that will be redeemed and renewed and brings heaven and earth together. And, and he establishes this heavenly city where we now dwell with God as his people. And the prophet Isaiah, he, he wrote about this 700 years before the birth of Jesus. He said in chapter 65, verse 17, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. It's pointing us to this new Jerusalem. And this is 700 years before, but you see remnants of this throughout the biblical story. This is not like plan C. It's like, oh man, these people jacked this thing up so bad. <laughs> well, Angel, what should we do now? I mean, this has been known as the plan. There is going to be a new city. As the garden was tainted, hey, let's, we're going to redo this. And this has been the plan all along. It's what the Apostle Paul describes in Romans, in his letter to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
It's saying that you and I and all of creation, we're living in this thing that is broken and we are eagerly awaiting, saying, Lord, how long? Lord, when will it be made right? Lord, when will the things that are so broken be brought into the wholeness it was to be? And that's what we're waiting for. This new city of God where heaven and earth comes together in this new kingdom. The whole story of God, all we've looked at, it's leading here. It's, it's leading to this revealing of creation being made whole again. Every day that we live on this earth as a follower of Jesus, it's one step closer to being in this new Jerusalem described in Revelation 21. For the Christian, if you're a Christian here, the new creation is something that we're meant to look forward to. This is something that we're supposed to like live in expectancy and there's supposed to be joy and a sense of like looking forward to this thing to come. And I think, I mean, you guys, you all understand looking forward to something, right? You, you understand like when you have something in mind that you know is coming, that frames your reality right now, right? It's like, that's why most of us, like by the end of Friday, you are real happy. You're a pleasure and joy to be around because you're looking, for, well, most of you, right? Unless you got stuff going on on the weekend is bad, but you're looking forward to the weekend. And then you're like a miserable grump to be around by Saturday, Sunday night because you're like looking forward to the rest of the week again. Like what's to come, what we're expecting frames our present, frames our reality. And when we think about this new creation the, the goal of it, it's supposed to create in us this deep joy. It's supposed to give us eyes to look at life. Um, the thing is, as I talk to Christians, a lot of Christians, I don't know if this is always the case when we talk about new creation. Um, I mean, stranger things, right? Talk about stranger things. When Christians start talking about the end times, things get real strange. Things get really weird. Um, I, I, I think we can see it kind of a couple different ways. On one end, you got some Christians who are really into the end times. Like, they, they, the whole operating system is, is based on preparing for the end times. And they got, like, charts and graphs and tables and spreadsheets. And they're monitoring the news, waiting for uh, different uh, current events that are pointing to this happening. They got new math that I can't understand, figuring out dates and times and, how, and predicting the actual days when this is happening. Um, but I, I, I think on the other end of it, and you, you know, maybe we can laugh at that. I don't, I don't know if that's appropriate. I think there's a biblical desire to want to know when God's making it all new. That's good. But on the other end of it, what I've noticed is sometimes, um, there's like no interest in it at all. It's like, it, it's not even like disbelief. It's not like, oh, I don't believe that's true. Some people it is, but somebody, it's like, oh no, I believe it, but what's it really matter? You know? <laughs> I mean, if it's written down, it's going to happen. What does it matter if I care about it or not? Why should I be bothered by something that's going to happen if I've got no choice in it anyway? I'm just going to live my life here. And I think that's actually a little sad. Um, if, if that's our attitude towards the new creation, I, I think it's a little sad because the hope of the new creation is the greatest promise that God has given to his people. It, it's the greatest thing that he has given us for the purpose of our joy to encourage us on a daily basis. And I mean like right now. And some of y'all young, right? Like even right now in your young, fresh bodies and minds, it's meant to encourage you. Not just like if you're on your deathbed thinking, oh, what's to come after this? No, like right now, it's meant to provide us joy and encouragement as we live our lives. And I think, uh, I, this, is, I think this is important. Um, 
I, I was talking with a friend of mine just before this whole Easter weekend, and he's also in ministry, so we, we talk a lot about some of these things. He said, man, can I tell you something? I can't tell my church this, but I, I'm feeling kind of melancholy about this whole Easter thing. Like, I, I know, you know, Friday we're supposed to get, like, really, oh, you know, consider the cross and kind of dark. And, but then Sunday, ooh, turn that frown upside down. It's all different now. Jesus rose from the grave. The tomb is empty. He's alive. And we're supposed to have this idea, like, oh, yeah, you know, a couple of days later, now everything's changed and it's good and I should be happy. He was saying, I just feel melancholy. Because the truth is, yeah, I believe. I mean, I believe all this. I really believe it. But things are kind of the same. Just because the calendar flips a day doesn't mean that things are going to be different. And, and I think it's not totally inappropriate. Maybe even some of us here sitting here are kind of experiencing that. And you feel bad because you're supposed to come on Easter and we got like beautiful flowers and everyone dressed nice and looking even nicer than we normally might be. And it's, I don't know, I feel sunnier. I don't know what it is. I mean, it, we're supposed to feel like really like, oh, it's Easter resurrection. Yeah. And the thing is, for most of us, or many of us maybe, Things are not going to look that different tomorrow, probably. If you struggle financially, you're probably still going to be struggling financially tomorrow. If you got depression, God might provide some healing or some freedom, but you probably will still struggle with these things tomorrow. If you've got some experiences of abuse in your past, that's not magically gone. It's still there. Uh, It's this sense of, and I... I want to be really clear. I do believe God makes everything better. Amen? Like right now, this is not just a fort. Like it's not like we hide in a cave and say, oh, this whole thing's going to fire. So let's just wait till we get to heaven. No, right now, just like we looked in the sermon a few weeks back, because we know God now, he gives us purpose behind what we do with our work, our play, our food. I love redeeming food that we get to look at these things and worship God now. It's good. It is good. And we should glorify God and say, God, you are good. But I, here's what I'm saying. The reality is for many of us, no matter how much we put into this celebration of Easter and, and genuinely for some of us, like really wanting things to be different, um, we are part of, I think, a whole generation of people. And I'm not just talking age. I'm talking like culture where in American Christianity, there's this kind of weird idea that we follow Jesus and everything is supposed to be magically different. And I, I, again, I believe everything's radically different, probably far more significantly than we understand. But some things are the same. And there's a lot of disillusioned Christians I talk to who have almost like bought into this idea. They've been told, you should be so different now in everything because you follow Jesus. And they're ticked off. And they're disillusioned. They're cynical. They're like, you preach this happy, happy, joy, joy, Jesus stuff, and man, I feel the same. Things are, things are still where they are. Because I would suggest maybe we've been taught to look for hope um, in things that are not necessarily promised in the scriptures. Because I think if we put our external hope in what is temporal in this world, as good as those things might be, it will eventually always let us down. Yeah, and you're thinking, if you're new here, like, man, this is like the worst Easter preacher I've ever heard in my life. I'm coming here. I'm supposed to feel good after this. This guy's like, man, take away his license or something. What's wrong with him? But, I mean, it's it's just a reality, right? Because I can talk all I want about, hey, we should be happy now. It's Easter. And, And the thing is, we live in a broken world. 
And the one commonality to every single one of us, whether we are old or young, whether we're fat or skinny, whether we have different melanin in our skin, whether we have a lot of money or whether we got nothing, whether we got a lot of degrees behind our name or whether we haven't graduated kindergarten, it does not matter. The one commonality is every single one of us will be very familiar with this thing called loss and sorrow and pain and woundedness. It's the common thing. You can't buy your way out of it. You can't work out enough to get beyond it. You can't buy a house big enough to get rid of it. One day, every single one of us is going to have to say bye to people who will depart from this world. Every single one of us is going to have to experience disease. Every single one of us is going to have to experience loss, pain, sorrow, things that no matter how much people tell you to feel better about it, you look at life, you're like, there's nothing changing this. And that's like our common reality. Because we were created for eternity. We were created for a new creation. We're meant to live life now in light of what's to come. And look, look at with me in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, because Peter describes some of how this new creation is going to come about. And let me read it for us. Chapter 3, for starting verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Notice a few things here. Um, Living in light of the new creation, Peter suggests it means understanding that God will judge the world. I mean, that's not a pretty word in our, in our current culture about judgment, but I mean, it's, it's biblical here in verse seven. He talks about this day of judgment, destruction of the ungodly. Verse 10, he, he talks about the idea that there will be judgment. There will be exposure of all that's been done, whether good or bad. These are serious promises, guys. These are like deadly serious promises and reminds us God is not to be trifled with. God is not to be mocked. He, he is not to be kind of just laughed at and said, oh, all you end times people, you ridiculous. That's God promises judgment. And I, I want to say this in one sense, that should provide some of you a lot of satisfaction. You're like, how, how can judgment provide satisfaction? Because what it means is that when you open up your news and you read about a bombing that kills 100 people in Syria, you should be like mad. You should be angry. You should be mad when you hear about people murdering others. And you should be mad about people being divided along issues of race and ethnicity. You should be mad when you hear about people, evil people, taking little kids and little boys and girls and selling them for sex. That should make you really mad. And, and if you're mad to the point where you say, doesn't anyone see this? How come they just get away with this stuff? Does anyone care? What judgment means is that God sees. God does care. He cares actually much more than we do. He sees every little thing. And the things that you and I think the bad guys get away with it, God said, no, 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 no. There's a day coming. It will all be judged. God's going to deal with it. And that should provide us hope. But I think um, some honesty here. 
is, yeah, that's part of it. Um, we've also got to recognize when it says ungodly, like in verse 7, it's, just, it's not just the people that you and I would commonly agree are jacked up. It's not just the people that you say, oh, yeah, they, they deserve judgment. Um, we would believe the Bible says this is the state of every person apart from God. Romans 3.23, an example, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's saying every single one of us are in the same place apart from God. That's offensive for some of you because y'all good, right? You're really kind and you're generous. You're nicer. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not the same as uh, that guy down on this corner. Or I'm not the same as that bomber. That's a... The Bible says that we are actually much more close to one another than we are to God. The worst and the best of us are much more closer and have much more in common than any of us, even the best among us, have to do with God. It's all of us. When we talk about judgment, I, I, I believe it's appropriate for there to be some trembling when we consider these kinds of words. I know that's anti-American church where you're coming on Easter like, man, give me my flower. Make me feel good. Tell me how good I am. Tell me how pretty I am. Tell me how God can make my best life now, right now. But I think it's appropriate for there to be some trembling and say, do I know God? Have I received salvation from judgment? Do I know Jesus who takes the, the wrath that I deserve? Um, that, that word there at the end of verse 10, that made me shiver. That word exposed. Because what exposed means is that religious people, we have a really good tendency to look really good on the outside. I mean, heck, some of you, if you're not from here, our church, you come here, you look around, you're like, oh, man, there's a whole bunch of holy moly's here. Everyone, they know how to sing these songs, and they look so righteous, and they're so good. And you know what religious people are tremendous at doing? Is hiding our outside when our motives might just be as jacked up. And this, like, makes me tremble where it says everything will be exposed all the motives that we work so hard to make it look like we're much more loving than we might actually be, it will all be exposed. Like even the thoughts that we have while we're sitting in worship that no one else can see, it will be exposed. God sees and knows it all. In light of knowing that, wisdom is described in verses 11, 12. What's wisdom? Wisdom is living differently in holiness and godliness. As we wait to be with God. It should affect how we spend our lives. Um, It'd be like, this is a silly little example, but maybe it'll help you to see it. It'd be like if it's like last Saturday, a week ago, and you've got some like inheritance money you just came into, right? You're like, oh, I got a big lump sum here. I am like savvy. I'm smart. I'm going to invest this because I'm like Wall Street broker time. I'm going to invest this money. I got a big, nice lump sum. And you're like, who, who can I invest this in? You know, you scanning NASDAQ and looking, oh, you know what? I love flying. There's this great airline. It's called United. You know, yeah, man, they do such a great job in, like, transporting. But they care so much. They give better peanuts than anyone else. Yo, they are a company on the rise. I'm going to put everything I have into this company called United. Um, if you had someone even a few days from the future come back, they would say, oh, no, no, that, that'd be a real bad idea. <laughs> That's not investing your money wisely. That'd be real bad. You're going to be a big loser. And again, it's a silly little example, but I think in the same way, if we know what's coming, it should affect what we invest into now. It should impact how we use our money, how we spend our time, who we spend it with. And again, I'm not like into 
creating barriers of this is really spiritual stuff and this is like non-spiritual. I think some of the stuff that we think is non-spiritual, it can actually be very redeemed for God. But what I'm saying is, what would it look like for us to view the one thing that we know will last for eternity, which are human souls? Yourself, but others. And, and maybe reinvesting ourselves is saying, Lord, how can I look at those around me and myself and say, if I believe this is real and this is eternal, maybe it changes the way of how I use my time for others instead of what I'm currently using myself for. And then we see verses 8 and 9. Man, verses 8 and 9 are incredible. Especially verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Because I think it's natural to ask, say, yo, preacher man, you keep talking about how this new creation is so good and this world, everything is so painful and it's hurting, it's wounded. If it's so good, why the heck is God still keeping us here then? If it's so good, if this is so, if I can't wake up in the mornings because I'm just so in agony, why the heck is this cruel God still keeping me here? We see why in verses 8 and 9. Because God is patient. He's kind. He wants every person to experience the freedom of salvation. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants even the most rebellious to come to a point where they say, I need this God. I need to be right with him. And he's holding off so that more and more could experience this good news. Judgment is real. Guys, judgment is very real, but so is God's loving patience. God is incredibly patient, incredibly kind. And maybe that's even the story of some of you here. Like you've lived a life very actively apart from God. Maybe some of the reason God's hold hold things off, it's not because he doesn't see, but he's giving you time to say I'm going in the wrong direction. I need God. And it leads us to the picture that we read earlier from Revelation 21. Let me read that again, starting verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. How can that not not affect us? (laughs) as we think about the promise of what God says for those who are found in him. And I want to welcome you. Find hope in this God who promises to dwell with his people. This God who who knows. He's not uh, oblivious. He knows in a world where everything sometimes feels so wrong, he's promising, I am going to make it so right. He will make all things new. There will be a new creation where we don't understand some of the things that are so familiar to us now. We will not understand a thing called miscarriage. 
There will be no words to be able to define um, little, little boys and girls who don't have a mother and father who are longing to be adopted. There will be no words for something like that. There will be no more need for a word called protest where we want to talk about the value of black lives or maybe native indigenous lives or, or the lives of refugees displaced because of war. There will be no need for protest because it's going to be all made right. There's going to be no need for this world called unity because we're not going to be divided. We're going to be made one. There's going to be no such category as broken families. For some of us, that's just normal, broken families, even if the family might still be legally together. There's going to be no mommies and daddies who shirk their responsibilities and walk out. There's going to be no such thing as using this thing called sex for evil ways to manipulate and hurt others. There's going to be no more mommies sitting there in our city and weeping and mourning over their young son who's been killed and shot down in the streets. That's going to be a foreign concept. There's going to be no more of this thing called depression that so many of us just wrestle with in our minds. And no matter how much we're told Jesus loves you, we still have it. And it feels like an ugly sibling that you walk with because it's just become part of you. There's, there's going to be no more conflict in wanting to worship God. And I don't know, that's, that's one I'm really looking forward to. Because, I mean, it's going to be no more waking up on Sunday morning and saying, oh, no, really? I'm going to go do that? I know it's Easter, but seriously, I've had a long week. I, 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 there's going to be like, I get to do this all the rest of my existence. I don't have these like competing, driving things within my soul now. I don't have this like false kind of spiritual. I mean, you, I genuinely, all I want to do is worship God now. I don't have evil things that are tempting me. I have, all I have is a desire for God now. I long for that. I long for that. I, I long for the day when some of us, we're not going to have to wrestle with these addictions that feel so strong, like claws into our soul. And just the fear that drives us every day, man, is this the day I'm going to fall again? There's going to be no more of that. There's just going to be held by your father, loving you, walk with you, dwelling with you, saying you don't have to go to those things anymore. You've got me. Your body's going to be healed. Your mind will be healed. Your relationships will be healed. Your soul will be healed. That's the promise of new creation. And God has the authority and the power to make this happen because we're given the resurrection as evidence. God gives us the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead as evidence and a small, very significant, but a a foretaste of what's to come in fullness. That as glorious as the resurrection is, and it's amazing and glorious, it's just like giving us a taste of what's to come for all of creation. That God is going to roll it back and God's going to take those things that are so broken and he's going to make it right. I know for some of us, the biggest challenge is you cannot wrap your mind around even conceiving that. And I think that's why we do things like Easter every year because we need little glimpses. Because we just can't imagine that. Let me me close with this. I, want, I guess I want to apologize because I think sometimes for a lot of us, I think the American church, and I, I love American church. I'm an American and I love church. Um, but I think one thing that we don't do that well in the American church is really let people sit in some of the areas of brokenness. 
it's like this mentality, well, you know, come and do your six-step Jesus thing and you should be all fixed. Don't wrestle with that anymore. Don't, 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 no, 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 don't be down. You shouldn't be down. You're in Jesus. And, you know, and church becomes like the place where actually most false. And maybe what the hope that we can derive out of the message like this today on this Easter Resurrection Sunday, it's okay to be kind of where you're at. It's okay to feel kind of like melancholy as much as we're supposed to celebrate today. Be some of you, you're very familiar with loss right now. And even as you sing some of these songs about God making everything good, you're thinking about loss you've experienced. And you're like, yeah, this is great. And I feel good. This hour is really nice. But I'm going right back into that life tomorrow. <laughs> what do I do with that? And to give you hope that what currently defines your pain will not define you for eternity. What currently feels that you feel marks you as broken, as full of loss, full of agony, sorrow, that will not mark you forever because God has promised for those in Christ, you will be part of a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come fully. Not just for all of creation, but you too. So can I ask you to stand on that uh, and that thought right now as we respond? And just bow your head with me before a moment. We're going to have time to sing and pray here and receive communion where we remember Jesus. And for those of you who are Christians, I want to invite you to come to the table during this time and take a piece of the wafer and remember the broken body of Christ that makes all this happen. And dipping in the cup, you can come up both aisles and take it right there at the table and, and be given a reminder of a broken Savior. He didn't heal and he didn't bring in an usher, a new creation by magically waving a wand, like wizard style. And it, it came at great expense and cost to himself, where he entered himself into darkness so that we could be given away into light. And we're still going to be living in some shades of that as much as we have time on this earth, but we are given a glimpse for what's to come. And can I, I, I don't want to offer you that, you know, do this right, take communion right, sing these songs, really believe, and things will be all different tomorrow. It might be exactly the same as when you came in today. But you can live life now in light of what's promised to come. That does make it different. So bow your heads with me. Let me pray. Lord, help us. And God, I know maybe this is not the, the cheery Easter pump ourselves up message we should have, but I don't know. I feel it's appropriate because so many of us, we're just exhausted from trying to pretend like we're all good when we look at our life and uh, maybe not just us personally, but we just look at our world and it just feels broken. And we wonder, does anyone care? Is this all it's ever going to be? And God, you remind us, yes, work hard now. Be good, be holy and, and show, peop show people a glimpse of heaven now but at the same time, having the freedom to recognize it's meant to be a little falling short now. But there's a day coming when it's going to be fully complete. And Lord, let that be our hope as we fix our eyes on you. Even as we sing these songs, would it give us a different perspective towards singing these in hope as people who are wounded and weary, going along the journey, almost feeling like we're going to fall over, feeling like there's no way we're going to make it tomorrow, and being reminded you give us hope and faith. And that's all we can do. So help us, Lord. I pray for any of us in here. Maybe, Lord, you, there's an appropriate trembling 
Maybe we've even been to church before, but maybe you're encouraging us to ask, do we really know Jesus in this way that if all of our life is exposed, we can stand before God? Lord, draw us to the cross and be reminded of the Savior who died for us, not because we deserved it, but in spite of what we deserve. And give us salvation, Lord. Save many in this room and draw us to you. So I want to invite you to take some time. And again, I think it's appropriate to have some trembling, but also have some hope. I think it's appropriate to sit in maybe some of the areas of loss in your life, but don't let that define you. Be reminded of the hope of the resurrection and new creation. Be reminded of hope as you come to the table. Be reminded of hope as you pray. Maybe pray with the people you came with. Be reminded of hope of the new creation as you sing. And let's fix our eyes on Christ together.